Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris and I'm back for 2018 with a whole new group of exciting guests to talk about their businesses and to give them some honest feedback along the way. Today, my guests are Mario Hassanakos and Alex Badrum, who are the co-founders of an app called Spriggy. Spriggy is a digital pocket money tool where parents can put money into an account for their kids who can then save and spend money and set goals, while the parents can easily track and monitor everything from the app as well. So, Spriggy is a great product teaching financial literacy to the next generation of kids and make them more responsible with their money. And they're currently growing to 70,000 users. That's pretty impressive. I'm keen to talk about their growth, what their business model looks like, and if they're worried about competition from the big banks, who I'm sure are thinking about similar ideas, what the hell are they going to do about it? So let's get into it. Mario and Alex, welcome to The Mentor. Thanks very okay, much. Okay, guys, I want to get into this. I mean, I love I love the idea, and it's a great name, Spriggy. Um, but first and foremost, uh, tell me about your background. So let's start with you, Mario. M- myself, I grew up in North Queensland. Yeah. I uh, studied physics and electrical engineering at university, and my first job was working in investment banking, uh, trading and selling interest rate derivatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, when in 2015, Alex and I came together on the idea of Spriggy, and our view was that it was a really exciting time in tech businesses. Uh, there was a you know awesome startup culture in Silicon Valley was starting tech hold here in Australia, and there was a sense from our jobs in finance that we could do more to build products that really helped people. And, and what so your skill base being an electrical engineer, what is it? Numbers really. I spent a lot of time in spreadsheets when I was working in banking. Yeah, um, fun, eh? Um, uh, but but you, you, obviously you're good with numbers. You can you can build financial models, etc. But um, do you have, is it is it a tech background too? Being for me, engineer, yeah. For like, me, I mean, like, n- yes. As, as an undergrad, we certainly didn't use that a whole lot when we were working in our day jobs. Um, Alex is quite a lot different. And that he does come from that kind of background. Right. Okay. So mm. go for it, Alex. Uh, so, yeah, my background is mathematics. I studied mathematics as an undergraduate and also did a PhD in mathematics. Mm-hmm. Um, while studying maths, I spent some time working in uh, an investment bank as well. Um, learned pretty quickly that it wasn't really for me. <laughs> I, was, I, was, yeah, I wasn't really a good fit, to be honest. Um, and left there, took a bit of time off in between things to kind of take a bit of a broader view of the world. Um, I loved what was happening in tech, kind of saw the themes in finance going uh, happening overseas, happening domestically, and recognized it was an opportunity there to to look at look at the products being offered in finance, but doing it from the perspective of what a tech company would do. Um, so, 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 so being a mathematician, um, uh, you're not necessarily, a, you're not necessarily out there cutting code or anything like that, are you? No, no, I did. I, I let go of numbers a long time ago in my in my study, so it was very abstract. Um, but it was it's, it's extremely useful. Extremely useful. So you learn the you learn the skill to take a problem, 
abstract it away and think of the core elements that go into that problem, challenge your assumptions quite heavily, and then use that as a base to fit, uh, to build off to solve problems, um, which is something I do in other all elements of life. Um, when we started the business, Mario and I didn't really have the the skills you'd need for a business like this. So we, that's what I'm trying to because that, that's what I'm sort of trying to establish yeah. here, as you can probably see. Uh-huh. Yeah, Mario, I think the missing piece is, and Alex would never say this himself. He's just a bit of a freak. He taught himself how to code when we got started. There's this moment right in the very first weeks where, like, you know, somebody has to write the code for this bank because I was trying to work out who was the coder. So. Yeah, yeah, and so. uh, Alex taught himself Python. Right, and okay. the whole the whole stack these days is built in that. And uh, I don't think an average person can do that, but he's just a little bit special that way. Yeah, you, it's it's funny. Um, I think I had a really good base, and I did little bits of pieces of coding at uni, but never built something like this. Um, I think the hardest part is actually not being afraid to give it a crack. Uh, we, When we started, they said, okay, who had retail banking experience? And I was like, oh, neither of us. And who has, who's the tech founder? I was like, oh, neither of us. So we kind of broke off a piece each and kind of... So went. who did what? Mario, Mario started looking at all the partnership-related problems, all the regulatory problems, and how do you actually structure the financial elements of the product? And I looked at how you built it. Um, there are enormous amounts of resources, and I kind of spent 15 minutes trying something, reading online, and then I'd hit up one of the mates I've met over the years who've, who's doing it today, and they'd kind of point me in the right direction and then just keep doing that for a couple of weeks and you get you get a bit further and you get a bit further and eventually you kind of pick up enough to, to build something and then you pick up a bit more to be able to talk to people and bring people in and you learn off them. And So give, 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 it, give it to me now in practical terms because, you know, we've got people listening to this. Sure. Um, and they're thinking, so, well, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> um, so... Tell me what, what you did for Spree. So how did you start off? What was the problem you tried to solve? Yeah, so we, we started looking at uh, transaction banking in Australia. We thought it hasn't changed for a long time and there's a way you can build products to help people make better decisions with money. Um, we know both a lot about finance, but when we get paid, <clears throat> you know, we, we spend all our money on beers or we buy something impulsively and we don't. The behaviours that we have are very different to the knowledge and that we have. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we looked at that space and thought there's room to build products, which as people use them, it, they they learn they develop better behaviors with money um so we started by asking people interviewing people asking our mates if you know mocking up prototypes and or uh, mocking up pictures of an app and say would you use this we learned pretty quickly that no one our age would would switch banks for a product um, and age being uh, 20 to 30 right at the, at the, 30 now. But, um, um, but in, that, in that course of discovery, we spoke to a lot of parents and we learned, we, learned, we learned a few things. Firstly, you develop your behaviors around money very early. So we were looking at the 20 to 30 range and uh, we learned that it's a bit too late for those people. Um, someone, a professor of economics told us that uh, if you're learning financial education at the age of 25, it's like learning sex education. It's probably a bit too late for you. Or like um, learning a language. Yeah. Like learning a language. Um, <laughs> We learned, secondly, that even if you were to develop a product which was which was able to help people with their behaviours, um, the ability to get them to actually switch is, is next to nothing. You mean to change the behaviour? To switch from an existing offering, so from your oh, to, to you. okay. existing bank account. Yep. And thirdly, and this is kind of at the core of everything, the infrastructure to build this, while it was happening overseas, it was underdeveloped in Australia. Hmm. Um, in the course of that journey, we spoke to a lot of parents and parents told us they love the idea, they love the concept. They wouldn't use it themselves, but they'd love a tool to teach their kids about money. Mm-hmm. And we kind of stumbled upon this segment, which was able to address the problems that we sought, sought to face, but at, at a time in life which was, uh, which was much more 
relevant and it helped us overcome the problem of it's their first bank account. So they don't have these ingrained behaviors. And thirdly, we were able to use off-the-shelf products, which you couldn't use for adult the adult market, but was more suitable to the child market. And so in the first uh, in the first couple of Are weeks- Are you talking about IT, off-the-shelf IT products or tech products? What, what and financial of? products as well. Mm. So in Australia, there's really not a lot of history of tech companies white labeling somebody else's banking license. It just hadn't been done in Australia. Like Why, labeling someone else's banking license? Yeah, yeah that's so, right. So you, you're talking about like um, using, a, let's say, NAB's banking license mm. to uh, run a bank account for a, a, a child. Yeah, there just really isn't a lot of history of that in Australia, and particularly when we were a new player to the block without a product in market, without a customer set, that was really hard. So as it turns out, there is a more established market for prepaid cards, and that was our foothold in. So right. we ended up white labeling a prepaid card. So what do you got? What yeah. is it? What do you got? So yeah. I mean, I got ten kids, and they're all under the age of twelve. Yep. So what do you yeah, got for them? Yeah. Well, our first offering is a mobile app that helps parents teach kids about money with real world. So, practice. so it's in the parents' name or in the kids' name? The, the card itself. It's a the, card. Yeah, you get a Visa prepaid card for kids down to kids as young as eight years old. Right. So so what I do is I'm a parent. I got my my kid, and I go along. I go into your 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 uh, website and I fill in all the fields and uh, you send out to me or my kid a prepaid, um, well, just a debit card. Yeah, not just a debit, card, but a debit yeah, card. Yeah, absolutely. Which they bank issues. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but it's in your name. It's white labeled. That's right. Yeah, it's got. Oh, yeah, it's got spree on the front. And yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Personalized in the name of the child. So until us, you couldn't get a debit card for a kid below fourteen years old. And we right. were the first ones to introduce it down to right. the kids as young as eight, which is super important because these days most of what kids want to buy and what they need to learn to resist is online. Yep. 54% of our kids' transactions are online and you can't really buy online unless you have Visa or MasterCard mm. these days. And as a result, uh, any solution that tried to help parents deal with kids' money really needed that kind of ability to pay online. So what is it? Is it sort of um, attached to a, a, like a, a Fitbit or a, like a, like how do the parents alert? What has it alerts? Mm-hmm. What, so well, what? it's through the mobile app. So parents can link any debit card or bank account from any institution to move funds onto the kids' cards in real time. So we're using um, uh, banksavers.com or someone. Who are you using? So no, we so it's all built in house. So as a parent, you go on online. You'd sign. Uh, you go to our website. Yeah. You sign up online. Yeah. You'd enter the name of your kids. Yeah. Um, you then download the app. Mm-hmm. You can link in a bank account or a debit card to the app, mm-hmm. and then you can load funds from that account. So your app to- speak your 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 platform. Mm. Forget the app. Your platform speaks to the banks, to the, pay- the banks bank accounts. Or That's do the right. bank accounts speak to you? We use direct debit to pull funds. From okay, so, okay. so it's just a direct debit. debit. So it's yeah. an authority. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so it doesn't go into the it goes in the account to pull the money out, but it doesn't read the account. Correct, correct. Yeah. Okay, and then what gets comes into the debit account or the debit card? Um, do you run like a a running tally for the? Does your does your app run a tally? It looks very familiar uh, looks to like an online bank banking account. experience. Yeah, yeah, okay. uh, and we've really built a lot of that. So you so your so, okay. So I get it. So your technology is built. Uh, you have built. Something uh, that mimics a bank account, online bank account. So. Yeah. So people can, the parents can go into your, into your technology, or into your mm-hmm. platform, and see what their kids spent. That's right. Yeah, correct. It on does it say what you spent it on? 
Yeah. Yeah. You've got a full transaction list just like you would with yeah, an so, And bank. is it AI? Like are you are using um, artificial intelligence to, to identify things and to put it into packages and give you a printout and all that We're sort of just stuff? getting started on that front. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's really exciting opportunities around categorization and then also peer group comparison. Yeah. yeah. So taking yeah, yeah, your yeah. kids spending Relative profiles. to the rest of the people on your yeah. other 70,000. There's, yeah. there's a huge amount of um, – just, just by having a, a digital payment method, there's a huge amount of visibility which didn't exist, mm-hmm. which is parents see. Um, so prior to this product, parents are giving their kids cash and then they're going off and coming back and asking for more cash. So we find with our – when we talk to our, our users, we find that even by having access to the statement, they're like, oh, I didn't realize how much junk food my child's eating. I didn't realize uh, uh, I didn't realize how much they're spending. That's why I said Fitbit. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's got some health uh, – like just not just I'm not talking about health. Like, I know what you're saying. I think yeah. for, when we talk to parents, the three things that they want to control is where their kids spend, yeah. where their kids eat, and how much time they spend in front of Spending a screen. Health, yeah, yeah. Which is financial health is yeah. a subset of mm. yeah, their yeah, health yeah, in general. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And most of our engaged parents just say, "I just didn't realize how much junk food my kids eat, or I didn't realize how much Xbox they're playing." And so they're looking at solutions for that. Yeah. And as we continue to build, we're we're trying to figure out ways to help solve. Broader, broader problems as opposed to just the, the financial piece. Yeah. So, is it, is a problem? Are you looking at from? Are you looking at um, your application solving problems, or are you looking at your application as well as solving problems, um, creating opportunities? You know, like uh, not not just say, oh, here's a problem, parent, um, but um, here's a behaviour that people should aspire to. So is it aspirational? Is it just problem solving or is it equally aspirational? It's a bit of both. It's challenging because in our early prototypes, we were very aspirational. So we we looked at good behaviors we wanted to encourage and we, we try to put them in front of our, our families. Um, if you don't, if you're too aspirational and you don't take into account their, the problems that they have, mm. you don't earn the right to, to deliver those experiences. That's what I want to know. Which comes first? It, once you get the behaviors, once you can create user experiences which are seamless and make a parent's life easier, you earn the right to start to have more engaged conversations with them. So, so I think it'd be good luck for our audience now just to understand something. So the difference between um, user experiences and uh, and behavior monitoring and or the science of understanding behavior. Um, so are you creating... But why don't you explain to the audience what you believe those two, the difference between those two things are when it comes to your business, Spriggy. So like, you know, you're looking at um, changing behaviours and uh, are you using the user experience to change the behaviour or how are you, how are you sort of interacting with these two concepts? Uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Uh, so That's the question. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so we look at, just starting talking about a parent um, and talking about the experience of their child about to go to school. Mm. Um, what they want to do at that point in time is figure out a very easy way, a seamless way to give their child money and ensure they have enough cash to buy lunch for the day. Yeah, and, 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 um, you, and could I just stop you there too for a second? Um, uh, it's, Alex, it's what I, one of the things that I've noticed that this is really becoming more important because people don't have fucking cash anymore. I mean, you know, they, well, they don't have the right amount true. of cash. You know what? You, you, got, you pull a 50, you're not going to give 50 year dick kid. You feel like a gig doing that. Not that I've given money to kids for a long time, but, but at the same time, you want to make sure they've got enough. You don't want to give them 10 yeah. when it's going to be 11. Exactly, and and parents are parents don't have cash on them a lot of the no, time. No, no, and no. They're forgetful, and so well, they, cash is just becoming uh, like it's it's becoming like dinosaur stuff, like especially yeah. with credit cards and tap and go and so. I mean, like I nearly feel embarrassed to pull cash out of my pocket yeah. now because then, well, where you get that cash from? Like, where'd you get the hundred from? You yeah. know, like uh, well, I look at my nephews and nieces, and they when they're my age, 
uh, I don't think they'll be using cash. Nah. So it's the the question we ask ourselves is what? How do you teach them about intangible concepts uh, when they're used to handling cash and the, and the the status quo is cash? But when they get to our age, they're going to have to deal with a completely different. Uh, diff- different currencies. Well, the so, government just introduced the payment system like last week or this week, I think it was. Like, yeah, last week or this week. It goes live this month. Yeah, mm. it's, it gets, it's live now, I think. For employees of the banks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the whole objective is to digitise everything and mm. to be no cash. Yeah. That's that's their objective. So you're right. Probably be sooner than later, there'll be no cash at all yeah. or a limited amount of cash yeah, at in, all. Yeah, in the last 10 years, according to the RBA payment survey, cash payments have gone down from 67% to 37%. And that's just in ten years. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's. So you're 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 saying that um, young people, there's no point in giving them cash anymore. So we might as well get on the bandwagon around the card. In your case, a debit card. Um, I get that part. I mean, that's really good. That's cool. And you're also educating the parents around it too. Because Very the parents much so. need to be educated about this. Mm. The kids need to be educated about behaviour. The parents need to be able to educate. Need to be educated about sort of the macro element of behaviour of every child. Not just their own child, mm. so don't give cash. Give cards. Yeah, and this, are you? Are you? Uh, how much pocket money does the average thirteen-year-old get? You know, what's the what's the market price for chores? Uh, yeah, yeah. Are you? How much? Uh, how, how much junk food is yeah, acceptable? Is, is acceptable? There, there are macro concepts which yeah. you can surface. But that's by, that's per- perfect yeah. stuff. I mean, that's great. So, really, all this one of the big value propositions of your business is the data. What does the data tell me? So. Um, you've got 70,000 users, I see. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Um, I'm going to come back to the data because I think, to me that's the most fascinating part of all this. Um, the other thing I want to come back to is how you make money out of it. Um, and the third thing I want to come back to is marketing, how you actually build awareness, okay. apart from being on this brilliant program, okay. um, how you build awareness for this sort of product. Okay, we're back with Mario and Alex, and um, we're talking about Spriggy, but we might just put Spriggy aside. It's a great name. I really like it. We might come back to how that name came about. It seems like it's working, so I don't know if we have to spend too much time on that. I want to get into the nuts and bolts of this. Um, so one of the things I want to talk to about, to the guys about is um, their their business model, their finance model. I mean, how they make a quid out of this. Um, uh, who do they charge? What's their research showing them about who they should charge and how much is the market going to bear? So who wants to tackle that one? We spent quite a lot of time modeling this on, the, on our way in, getting started. Right now, the product carries a $30 annual fee per child after a 30-day free trial period. So parents can sign up for free, get started with the product, and if it's something that works for them, then the fee gets charged after that trial period. Uh, and for us, that $30 fee that we started with is really a beginning point. That's $30 fee to to be with Spriggy after the first month, but mm. and I, I guess there's a cost of the debit card too, is there? Or? No, so that's all you'll pay. Right, okay. Uh, and the logic was to try and keep that really simple. Yep. And we started at that pricing point and that business model for a few reasons. I think first and foremost, Alex and I, it was really critical for us to demonstrate that we were giving value to customers so much so that they were willing to, to pay something for it. In a world where... There's a popular expectation that bank accounts or things like them should be free. We wanted to prove that what we were building was so valuable to our parents that, that it would be something that they would pay for. There were some international comparables that informed that as well uh, that led us to start with that, uh, that $30 fee. The further we've got into the business, the more we've understood a few additional factors to that. I think one is that uh, there are 
tremendous opportunities to monetize the business in different ways going into the future as we achieve scale, whether that's from the data, as you mentioned before, or whether that's as to serve more of the financial needs of the whole family, both as the child matures into an adult and then also to serve as parents. Because, you know, for every family account that we open, we're opening accounts for parents as well. One thing we just hear all the time is family saying, particularly mums saying, do you have a Spriggy card for us? us adults. Can we get a transaction account with you that helps us with household spending? I love the experience so much. I want to use it everywhere in my family. You're like a, a household management card. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of opportunity from if you can serve that segment of families better from a financial services perspective, there's a lot of other adjacent products that you can go into. And the ability to remove the fee could help us bring Spree to some of the people who need it most. So it's a reality that in this country two, three kids, $90 a year is challenging for some families. So mm. to be able to open up that market and bring it to everyone was something that's real priority for us. So while we're at the moment working with that annual fee and we're very, uh, we're thrilled to have an excited customer base that, that supports us that way, there's really a lot of opportunity for monetizing the business in the future. Right. So uh, I mean, you guys are obviously funding yourselves. We, yeah. Because if I look right. at that number, 30 bucks to 70,000 users, it's mm. probably not paying a lot of wages um, <laughs> between the two of you yeah. and, and all your other costs. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it just two of you or the, you got... No, we have a team now. So yeah. just recently... Uh, so I mean, like, it's, so you guys must be funding yourselves. Or you, how, how, how are you funding this? What's We've taken some investment, external oh, investment to this point. Yeah, that's right. Family or... Professional investors. Rule around, yeah. 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 How much how much, <laughs> how much you raised? We've raised $2.8 million today. So far? Mm-hmm. And, and what you give away? You, do, you want, uh, do you want to tell me that or you don't want to say that? <laughs> <laughs> have you given much away? Uh, no, it's been pretty good so far. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you got a second round coming up? Yeah, there's really at this point, we were really clear on the product market fit. There's a lot of traction and there's a lot of places where they're just screaming for us to put more money and more people. So, so you're professional, because you know, the audience here love to know about how you fund these things. Mm-hmm. Um, just explain to everybody what you mean by a professional round. I mean, did you did you, did you use a, an intermediary or did you do it yourselves or how did you get to them? Oh, no, we didn't. So we, when we first started one, it was just Mario and I. Uh, we, well, we lived off our savings and just bootstrapped it ourselves. Um, once we got a bit of traction, uh, particularly once we proved that we had a prototype we could take to market. And we was had, that numbers or that? Uh, proved meant what? I've got 20,000 users or I've, or I've just got a prototype? <laughs> no, we it? had, a, we had a, uh, a partnership with our service provider. So the ability to actually take what was a prototype, kind of off the shelf, hack together stuff, uh, had a commercial relationship and we had a user base who were waiting for that product. We raised a little bit more from friends and family around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once we were in market with growth, uh, we raised, uh, did a, a seed round, uh, which was mid through last year. Um, and that process was, I think any first time founder in Sydney will tell you, uh, it's a challenging process. Um, you don't know who to talk to. You don't know exactly uh what risk appetite people have you take something like this to them and you get all sorts of feedback and you kind of get told very creative ways in which you're going to fail by people who would never invest in you in the first place yeah. um so for Mario and i it was we spoke to over 100 people trying to get a lay how'd you get to them because everybody be sitting there well how do i get to these people mm. oh we'd speak to people like you and ask you to introduce us to a mate who might be interested and yeah. then they'd speak to us and they'd say oh look i know a guy who might be interested and then they might introduce you to someone who runs a family office and you just you kind of just 
You're just treading the streets. Tap mm. your network, you knock on doors. Yeah, so you, you know, yeah, it's not people. Because what I want the audience to know is that you didn't come with some special list of people because That's you're right. in investment banking environments. Yeah. You actually got on, your, you know, put your best pair of shoes on and just kept walking around the place, <laughs> knocking on doors, getting knocked back like everybody else. Yeah, it's well, it's, uh, everyone will say two things about raising capital. Uh, give it time and it's hard. Like mm. And it's hard. It, even the best rounds, even the round, you read the papers, it's like, oh, these guys must, it must have been so easy. It's absolutely challenging. Mm. Um, you get told, it's, it's, it's also at a stage where you're watching your cash, your cash burn go. Mm. So you have all these existential t- threats happening to your business. You're getting told by people who, who would never invest in your business in the first place why it's a failure. Mm. Um, because, not because of anything to do with you, just because- Because they don't want to invest. And they've spent five minutes thinking about it. They yeah. see someone trying to do something and it, they parse their experience through yeah. your experience. Yeah, and they yeah, say, yeah. look, well, I didn't succeed at this, so therefore you're not going to succeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you just keep going. It's hard. Um, mm. you have a good, we have a great team. We're, we've got a good founder relationship. We have supporting investors. like The, the fr- friends and family investors were very supportive, um, but it was certainly challenging. So yeah. it's not easy. So you see, so you've got patient capital, or you've got liquidity events. I mean, you got people sort of saying, "Yeah, I'm in for two years." I mean, did you end up with debt or equity, or how'd you end up with? Um, it? We have patient capital. We have for where we landed. I think um, for better or worse, we were quite picky with the people who mm. would invest. There are a lot of people who saw this business and were like, "I want to, you know, I want to, I can, I want in and out in three years." Yeah. And I do all. We. It's just not for us. I mean, we. You don't start a business in transaction banking in Australia unless you're in it for a bit longer than a quick turnaround mm. um, and we f- we were fortunate enough to meet people who saw that there are broader macro themes at play you know banking as a sector is changing enormously in this, well give, give this me a profile country. of something, one of these, these professional investors I mean like what, oh. what do they look like I mean, I don't mean what it look like, you know. What <laughs> yeah, are uh, they run the gamut. So I think on our register, we have a lot of ex-founders, people who have started tech businesses in the last 10 years, had a successful exit or have successfully transitioned away from their executive role in their business. Uh, there's a couple of funds as well who are you know, repackaging family office money to a more VC-style investment. Mm. So you, yeah, so that's, I think that's important mm. yeah, for a moment, Mario, because you know, we've got listeners here. Um, what you're talking about is um, who are the people – if you're trying to do a round, who are the people who represent family offices or who are the people who represent investors who'd like to go into VC, like venture capital? In other words, mm. this is not like a business, a going concern. It is, but it's not like making profits mm. and shit like that at the moment, right? So you're looking yeah. for venture capital. Who is going to go on the adventure with you? If yeah. you're absolutely starting from scratch, I think an excellent way to go about it is try and find in news articles lists of people who have invested in early stage businesses mm. because I think one of the key hallmarks to a, a, a genuine investor prospect is somebody who's active. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who claim that they're involved in, in mm. early stage investing and then, but don't really write many checks mm. um, and they'll spend a lot of your time but won't necessarily be a credible case. And I think if you then identify those people, you'd be surprised how, how actually close you are to them in a network perspective that if you – Look at your LinkedIn connections and their LinkedIn connections. You probably find somebody. And then, did yeah. you have to get an anchor? I mean, was was everyone sort of saying, if he invests, I invest? I mean, did that? We were very fortunate. There's a lot of demand in our around. I wonder at times if we're a little bit exceptional in that respect. Uh, so the our filling our round kind of built very quickly. Well, it is a, look fintech. Mm-hmm. 
and transactional stuff mm. and moving. I mean, if you had to put blockchain on this, you probably would have raised <laughs> ten times as much. But like, to an ICO, yeah, yeah, it t- <laughs> straight away. Um, but like, uh, but I mean, it is it is the thing. I mean, you're on a wave. This mm. is yeah. big time. Um, you know, you know that, don't you? Because anything anything that might defeat the banks mm. or take something away from the banks is cool. And we're yeah, right at the heart of that. Yeah, and, yeah. I, we and then, but that's what your product does. Mm. I mean, and, and all your service. I mean, mm. it, it potentially can do that. Mm. Um, it, 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 I guess, I guess. Uh, I mean, I, I want to go back to before I get onto the very interesting thing that I've always want to know about. Because, well, let's go straight there. Sorry, like, Mark, just a quick one on that last topic. Is there a place for listeners to see a reference at the end of this podcast? Because there's Airtree Ventures put out a a sheet with all the professional investors angel investors in Sydney, Australia. And it's a, it's a public sheet you can pop up. Yeah, so, we talk about Airtree and Daniel pitches a good grandma all the time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if we do, but we can do it. Yeah. yeah, I'd recommend that because that was popped. That Did was you, out. is Airtree an investor? Airtree's not an investor, but yeah. that was put out uh, publicly last year and it's a really good starting place. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a list of all the names and all the... I'm surprised that um, they didn't invest. Did you talk to them? We got, have a good relationship with them. Yeah, Maybe something we can look at in yeah, the yeah. future. Yeah, yeah, because uh, this is their territory. Mm. Probably, maybe they probably don't like to invest under 500, so maybe that might have been... Yeah, we'll just get them to write a bigger check next time. Yeah, right? exactly, yeah. exactly. Because um, well, they're a big investor in Prosper and we have a relationship with Prosper. Mm, so they're, yeah, they're, okay. And they've done very well there. Mm. Um, sorry, and, and Prosper is a much more interesting business than you think. It's not just a... I believe it. It's just not a, a small business lender. It's all the shit that goes behind it. That's mm. the most interesting thing, how they qualify, how they mm-hmm. credit, credit mm-hmm. Do, do the credit on you. It's not yeah. traditional credit. Um, and by the way, your data for when your your young adults become... Young people become adults... Is the sort of data that Prosper uses. These are the this is the new credit new environment. Mm-hmm. It's not just uh, fill out a form and tell me what you so I can verify your wages and you earn mm-hmm. money. Therefore, you can mm-hmm. get a credit card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the challenge. Mario nailed it before when he talked about the opportunity set that presents itself. The challenge for us is small team. You want to make sure you focus on what's the most the sequencing. So when do you do what at yeah. what stage and how do you make sure you. Do enough so that you you're, you remain ambitious and you can keep growing, um, but you don't do too much so that you stop executing. And you don't keep it too simple that someone else comes and does too, and then you think, shit, I'm just yeah. one of everybody else now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So How do I keep ahead? Yeah, it's ha- and so how do you sequence all the opportunities yeah. that you have? And would you do that? I mean, you guys have you guys sat down and worked out a, a, a two-year sort of sequence as to build? Yeah, I think we have kind of a 10-year sequence <laughs> yeah, yeah, to be yeah. super, super Yeah, but 10 years long way out. Uh, no, I know what you mean, yeah. and things change. But I think if and you're not quickly. building today with a view to going somewhere, yeah, yeah. I think you've already lost the battle. Right, okay. So, you, so, you got, so you've sequenced out your mm. product steps or your feature steps or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. And mm. we, we, we expect by, you know, at, at year three, we're going to look back and be like, oh, our plan was extremely different to how it realized. Yeah, always. But you, you make sure that you... Don't lose focus of the, the the bigger picture. Otherwise, you just get caught in the wind with all the mm-hmm. all the changes you need to make as you respond to market and investors and stakeholders and regular. Which is the problem that Commonwealth Bank has now, to be honest with their apps, Everyone. which they were ahead of everybody like three years ago, four mm-hmm. years ago. But now they're sort of blokes like you are going. To, could I ask you? Um, do you see um, uh, you being part of the evolution, or do you see yourselves as making the evolution? I think you got to wake up every day thinking you're making it, that you're setting where things are going. And it's actually easier than it sounds in some respects because you just have to entrench yourself with customers to know where that is. Uh, Being a small team, we literally spent a day, two days a month 
sitting in the kitchens and living rooms of mums and dads, and they're super clear about what they need. Okay, the so, is, so you're, you're, are you saying in terms of the market that you're responding to, in other words, the product and features and service and all that sort of stuff mm. your thing's got to offer, um, is there some predictive science in all this or is uh, you just going, we know we sat there the other day and uh, the last, and we know mums and dads want this or are you actually predicting stuff in a si- um, some, with some science? Well, I, I'm a mathematician he's a physicist. So we take an element of scientific discipline to everything we do. Um, very measurement focused, very hypothesis driven. Um, yeah, but predictive science. But untested. But, but no, no we, testing. We, 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 te- we test. We you, test. We you, test very rigorously what we do. But but uh, but, um, but with, predictive science. I think there are more macro themes. It, it's like trying to. We're talking about behavioural science, behaviour now. So behavioural yeah. science. So there's not a lot of. I mean, you're using psycho- typical psychological testing methods, statistical psychological yeah. methods, or you or you building your own algorithms and building your own your own tests. Both. Uh, so there exists like a, a plethora of behavioral economics research yeah, yeah. Um, in which you look at an individual's decisions. So mm-hmm. me versus others, now versus later, risk versus reward. Mm-hmm. And you can measure how they make decisions over time and you can take individuals and compare them to cohorts. What's lacking from the academic academic research is there is no way to really have that feedback loop. So we have a child who gets $10 this week. They make a certain set of decisions then that allowance might change to $20. They might save some of that. They might not save. We can send a push notification. So what we're, where we're placed, where no one else is placed, is we can actually interrupt their decision-making cycle good. and start to shape it. Um, we have our own internal framework in which what do good behaviours look like and what do bad behaviours look like. But it, we're at the beginning of that research. It's not, it's, it's, we're, we're fortunate that we have a position where the technology enables us to have those more engaging conversations and to develop technology which helps people shape their behaviours. That's, that, that, that's, uh, that's based on academic, academic work and we have a framework for that, but it's also new because no one's really done it before. Because like, if you look at the health industry, like you know, gyms and fitness, the fitness industry probably a better way, and um, you know, like how many meters I've walked today, and uh, relative to you, and uh, and I, I got them up. Well, those bike, those I don't know if you're into cycling. I'm not, but like those cycling ones. You know, like I, I cycled and I went from Gordon to uh, Cronulla, and I did it in two hours and ten minutes. Whereas my my cohorts, they all did mm. it in two hours and nine minutes. So I then think, how am I going to get in two hours and nine minutes? So um, is this sort of stuff going through your head? Absolutely. So you can imagine imagine you've got two kids and. Um, in the same family or in two? The, in the same family. Yeah. Um, and you have a spender and a hoarder. Um, so the spender, you could send a, you could send an email to the parent and say, uh, little Mario's in the top 90% of spenders his age. Um, we, we recommend you encourage saving. Um, or likewise with the hoarder, you could say we recommend uh, teaching about spending in a healthy environment. Uh, and then you could look at and in, you could look at those two kids and say, in the following fortnight, what if the parent had... Uh, paid a, a dollar for dollar into a savings goal. So for the for the power spender, they are now encouraged more to make more uh, more polarizing decisions about between now versus later. So for every dollar they don't spend that week, they get an extra dollar, and so they're they're immediately being challenged in their decision making process, and they will change their behaviors because of that. And that is something we can do because we have that feedback loop with the parent and the child. And we can put a measurement framework around it to make sure that the individual's behaviours are moving in the right direction, and that, that then 
their behaviours relative to a cohort are moving in the right direction. So will you be holding seminars for all the children and parents and sort of say, listen, uh, we're putting on a seminar, we want to share with you what everybody's doing, and uh, we brought in a a spending expert who's going to talk to you about um, and bring your kids along? Well, we think the modern approach to that is to do it right from the mobile phone. I, I wouldn't not webinar based or I wouldn't rule out that content approach and I think it's always going to be an important part of the way that we because you might get a bank who says we'd love to come and talk at that but I think the they'll um, pay for it sponsorship made money you want to impact the way people live their lives you've got to entrench yourself in their lives mm. parents are super busy and them taking time out of their day to go to a seminar is you reckon you're, yeah. or, I mean I'd be interested in you to survey that because I, I wonder whether like if you said look by the way um, Wednesday, blah, blah, so-and-so, we're holding a seminar and uh, uh, so-and-so from wherever is going to come along talk about it and talk to you about what, how kids are you know, growing up, like something that parents don't ordinarily, because otherwise I'm a parent, I'm sitting at mm. home, I don't know whether my kids, mm. you're telling me my two kids or my kids realize mm-hmm. everyone else is spending too much on enough, but I would actually like to hear from an expert mm. as opposed to a computer. Sounds sure. like a great thing to test. Yeah, uh, I'd go back to your, I, I, I think any kind of, any... Any education that cuts through in the sector is great. Um, it's underserved. Mm. Uh, going back to your Fitbit example, um, the difference between uh, me getting a workout program, which I saw on YouTube, versus me having a Fitbit saying, hey, take a few more steps today because you should take a few more steps today, and mm. it just gives me a nudge in the right, right direction. Yeah, nudge, yeah. Um, the, the, yeah, so I know exactly what I need to do to get in shape. Um, that is the knowledge piece, and yeah. that is a huge piece. Of, of, but why don't you do it? So there's the skills. Mm. It's like I just I suck at cooking, so mm. I'm going to go eat macas. And then there's the behaviours. It's like I just don't want to get up at six in the morning and go for a run. So the knowledge piece is absolutely critical. Um, so teaching good numeracy skills, teaching the ability to understand what uh, what a credit card is. If you get into debt, you have to pay interest. How does interest compound? So understanding the core knowledge which goes into financial products is key. Then there's the skills. Can you can you calculate interest? Can you uh, balance a budget? Um, and then there's the behaviors, which is you just got paid. Don't spend it all at the pub. Um, each of those are critical to having like, holistic education. To be able to do the behavioral component well, so to be able to do the skills and knowledge well, uh, skills and behavior, sorry, uh, you can't do it by putting in front of someone a workout plan. It's mm. about gentle nudges. How do you influence them? How do you influence them? And that's what the, the, the wave of behavioral education that, that tech well, What do you guys think now? What I've told you, what do you think? How, how do you influence them? I mean, I, I, get, I understand. I, I agree with everything you just said on the knowledge, et cetera. But how do you influence somebody, not just to spend less or earn more or work harder or just, just to maybe to stay healthy? Just physically healthy. I mean, just in, just in terms of general fitness um, apps, etc. Um, how do you actually? How do you guys think that the behaviour can be changed? I think what's critical is you remind them what's important to them at the exact right time. So, and I think that's why it's the nudge theory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. And also, you can you can borrow from other like Fitbit. They use social. Like they use. But does it work? Apps. I don't know if it works. I mean, I, I mean, I know what they do, but I mean, do. do, do is there anything to say that these things are working? I mean, have they getting are they getting good outcomes? I can't I can't speak for Fitbit, but in terms of the way we do, we view things, we have a framework in which you can measure success. I think if you start without a framework of how you measure success, 
then it doesn't really matter. How you measure success or how the user measures success. How we measure success of the education of our users. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. And I, don't, I can't speak for Fitbit, but everything we do is based within that framework. And and that framework's based off, off you know, a lot of our own research, but publicly available research as well. And you guys are going to raise money easy because this this is the sort of stuff that uh, <laughs> there's no, you know, like, I mean, I'm not having a crack at you, but like uh, this is sort of the, the trending stuff in terms of science being applied to behavior Absolutely. Um, um but also it's sort of new so no one can sort of say well it's so fucking wrong it's i'm not going to invest in it because it, you know you're going to get your naysayers don't worry I, I, but you're going to get some people who are going to be cheerleaders big time so it's it's a it's a it's a great business to allow it's it's a great opportunity to allow yourselves to raise money to get the right outcomes i mean it's i mean this is sort of right in the sweet spot of fintech now, I, I, yeah, I, the, 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 the question I want to ask you is, what's your exit strategy? I mean, uh, I mean, you, it's all very well to have all these things going on, blah, blah, blah. So in your investment banker, so you've, you've been around the poison for long <laughs> enough to work out you have to have something. Mm. So uh, uh, in, a, in every good relationship, you've got to have a way out. Um, well, we, what are you thinking about? Yeah, it's funny. I think we probably... <laughs> no, it's not funny. It's serious. No, the reason I say, <laughs> the reason I say is we're probably different than most startups in that we've kind of spend our whole life growing, getting acquisition offers as we go. Um, some serious, some less than serious, but the idea being that we're constantly building something that banks don't really have to spend a lot of imagination to um, to envisage bringing into their product offering. So we've had a few acquisitions offers today. We've knocked back. We keep going because we think there's a lot more that we can build and do better than what established incumbents can do and keep growing the business that way. And so I, you know, potentially one day one of those offers might make sense, but there's a really, there's a full journey that you can take building a whole set of financial services that have historically been offered by banks to families with kids living at home and take that business all the way to revenue generating from multiple products, cash flow positive, profitable all the way to IPO. And I think if we don't, we, our philosophy internally is just keep building the full vision. So it's not offering a hundred million. Would you sell Is that it? that sorry? If someone offered you $100 million, would you sell it? Today? Hmm. Can I get that writing from you, Mark? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yes. You, you, could, you would sell it. So I, I was trying to work out whether you're mm. being altruistic and you, you're actually trying to um, change the world and um, but or you're just saying, well, look, I'll do this and like it's great. I, I will change the world if, 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 if that's the process and that's the journey I have to take. But if someone walks in a whole lot of dough, I'd take it because I'll go and do something else. I mean, I don't mean you're going to go sit on a boat. But you'll do something else, something similar, or well, my, I mean, is, is that your game? What's your game? Well, Murray and I have this have fictitious conversations all the time about what we could do in the future. You know, with yourself, have, everyone has a conversation with yourself. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, if you that altruistic vision, right, a uh, hundred million dollars today, I think I think it's a false trade to think that pursuing a business versus taking an exit is one is more altruistic than than the other. I think that if you really want to have impact, you need to do a, a risk-adjusted assessment of all the decisions you need to make and make them cautiously. What did you um, expect from a mathematician? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, he hey, just reduced the whole esoteric <laughs> conversation into uh, into logic. Um, I was trying to, to extract the logic though. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, some people, you, you know, yeah. you know, some people they they sit up in the mountains and they practice yoga and they never think about anything but actually the being on this journey for the rest of their life because they want to make some big change. Oh, I would say, honestly, I'd say Mara and I both look at where we're at today and where we, what we've done in the last short period of time, where we're at today and the opportunity set. So take Park for a second, 
just cash exit the opportunities that we have in front of us they're enormous it's the 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 finance industry is changing as a whole we're in a position where we can really have impact to the next generation of australian kids we want to keep going with that until we feel as though that opportunity is not there anymore and it's just it's just growing it's it's the opportunity today for us is much greater than it was a year ago and then much greater than it was two years ago um it would there are certain ways in which this business would not be able to operate if we didn't if we weren't operating in the structure we're operating today and we would love to keep that for as long as possible um so being able to have a founder-led business is great for us and we want to keep doing that until those opportunities aren't there we are going to just keep going with that it's it's the wrong time to sell is what, is what we think. Yeah, well, you probably get, well, it's not wrong. It's, it'd be a better time, put it that way. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would give you my two bobs worth on this because, I mean, I'm a deal doer. So uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll put it straight here. But I'm, I'm, I'm also trying to make changes, but I'm but I'm a deal doer because I, I think there's so many changes to make in so many different areas over so long a period of time and, and the, everything's changing so quickly that in and out, do another one. So maybe when you get to a, a critical mass of numbers of customers or um, users and then when you get to them when you can when you can sort of get when they're sort of coming into 18 19 20 or 30 or 22 years of age in other words you've got enough data on them that's going to be a good time to uh unload or bring in a or, or create your own liquidity event with a 50 percent 80 percent or ipo whatever it yeah, is because that's when your stuff's going to be really valuable to somebody like a bank and you're right the banks won't do this the banks aren't going to do this. Mm-hmm. Not not going to do what you're doing. They're going to. They, will they take the view? They'll go and buy something. Yeah, we see the same thing. Yeah, yeah they'll they'll go buy something for sure. They they're going to say, well, we can't do this like these two guys because we're a bank. You've worked in banks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just can't. They can't run these things like two entrepreneurs or proprietors. You're yeah. proprietors, yeah, and absolutely. you love it. You know what you're doing. Yeah. You eat, sleep, breathe it. Yeah, and also like it took me longer to get my systems approved in my previous job in a bank than it did for us to build. A bank like that's that, that those timelines are accurate and so uh just the ability to create and move fast on the outside is just so much where do you work from do you, do you work out of a we have our own office okay you don't work out of Sydney cbd you're not working out of incubator or something like that no no good okay yeah. i like that and uh and just how, how do you build awareness Predominantly, it's been word of mouth today yep. we see it a little bit with referral. some of our social content sort of but referral yeah, type thing yeah. we've been really blessed that the mums and dads who use our product. Are you getting into schools or something like that? Not yet, but there's a big opportunity there. Yeah, okay. And finally, uh, I'm getting wound up here. So um, I'm not getting wound up. I'm getting wound up by my producer. Um, (laughs) uh, 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 What question would you like to ask me? What one question? You got a question? We've answered answered a lot of questions we've been going along, but... eh. A question for you. If you were to go back to the beginning, so... If I was to go back to my beginning? yourself. You were not... At the very beginning. First ever business opportunity, but you're today. You don't have the brand, the personal brand or the... The money behind you to do anything. Mm-hmm. What what would you do? What would what's your what would you where would you start? What would you create? Uh, it probably wouldn't be in financial service for me. Um, I'm a, a huge believer in um, behaviour of everybody um, in, in what they do. Not necessarily just financial services, just people's behaviour, whether health, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, uh, habits. So I would probably go and do a. I would have done a computer science degree instead of a commerce law degree. I wouldn't have bothered doing a master's degree in um, capital markets. I would all that sort of stuff. I wouldn't. I would have gone and done stuffing around mathematics or building, you know, programs and able to do all my coding myself, and then do and then probably study behavioural 
aspects mm. or science around behavior, the science around behavior. Because I think behaviors are going to become the big, um, or data around behaviors is going to be the, the big valuable asset for the future for everybody, which is where Google's going, Amazon's going, everyone's going. Um, and, you know, whether you, and then off the back of that, try and um, deliver data to organizations who need the data to be able to sell more stuff. You know, everything relates to selling more stuff or selling more services um, and more effectively, efficiently and targeted and turbocharged and therefore I would do something around that territory. When I was going through university, um, I was interested in just just sheer products and what is the law around the products, so banking law around the products and what are the markets that supply the products, so capital markets. That's why I went for those two things. So, and I, even right, right back in my 20s, I knew it. Well, I guess you guys knew 20s too, so... But that stuff's irrelevant today. Mm. So guys coming out of University of Commerce Law Degrees can't get a job. Mm. Um, there's no need to study capital markets in Australia anymore because we have mature capital markets and everybody fucking knows them. Like there's so many people who are experts at it. It's ridiculous. Uh, and, it's not, and it's not unique anymore. When I was going through university, mm. there was no capital market in Australia as such. It was very shallow relative to the rest, the rest of the world. So that stuff's irrelevant. What's relevant today to me is the science around behavior. Cool. That's a good answer. Which is what you guys are doing. Yeah, absolutely. Spot on. It's, it's what you guys are doing. Um, and uh, it's sort of what I'm doing in this show a little bit um, because I've picked a segment that nobody cares about the behavior, the behavior of small business owners. Um, and that's sort of what the mentor is about is I'm actually having a talk to you because I'm trying to work out what you guys are trying to do. I'm doing my own surveys with everybody who comes on the show. What are they, they're all small business owners with their startups already in business. What drives them? What are they trying to achieve? Where are they trying to get to? That's why I'm asking you. Are you trying to be altruistic? Or, I mean, you guys are, are a bit special, to be frank with you, because you don't really represent most of the people who come in here. You're not a great sort of representative set. Mm. When I say special, you're probably a little bit unique uh, because you're very specialised in what your skill set and your uh, the way your brain works, um, which is why you're doing what you're doing and why not many others will be doing that. Um, but generally speaking, I'm trying to do what you do is I'm trying to work out why people in small business do these things. And of course, what it's, I mean, I might as well say it, I mean, what I'll be honest with you, where, where I'm trying to take this is that I, I use these are devices for me to work out what business I can run. So mm, the podcast is my research yeah. department cool. and um, to see who listens and who responds and why they respond and that we're doing a TV show you may have heard but we're doing a TV yeah, show exactly. and that's going to be a broader a broader piece and off the back of that will come a business that's cool that's really interesting I like the the fact that you're bringing people in here to get a bit of a gauge what that's why I give everyone an opportunity to ask me one question I think you're on the right side of a trend what's interesting you asked yeah. me the question that I'm doing it for as opposed to one question that can help you, <laughs> which is what normally people ask me, which is why I ask them to ask me the question because I want to know what it is they need to know. You just ask me the question as to why I ask that question. <laughs> I think, I don't know, for me personally, I, I, I understanding someone's motivation is a lot more interesting than having a snapshot of their perspective at a certain point in time. Which is motivation is the major, is the key piece about what you said before. We were just talking about it. Um, what motivates me to actually change my behavior as opposed to what mm. nudges me or prompts me? What the hell is it that's going to make that person okay. behave differently? That's the key. I agree 100%. Sir. And okay. uh, we just have to keep looking. But that's you work that one out. You've got it. Guys, thanks very much. That was awesome. Thanks. First one of the year. 
Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.